What a beautiful way to remind us that in the world that we live in, we do still have a king who is the king of the world. Some of you know him and his name is Jesus. Some of you are beginning to know him and maybe you're coming to that knowledge that there is a savior and there is someone who shows us the way. I just want to say thank you to Glenn and Jackie once again for just singing that wonderful song for us this morning. And if you're new today, we welcome you. And when you came in, you're given a bulletin. In that bulletin is a place for notes. So you can take out those notes and it'll help you to follow along. And, and if you want to jot some things down, you can. Some of you use our uh, New Hope Church app. And so you can uh, jump on that. And if you do have the New Hope app, just go to Sunday where it's at the bottom of the app. And then go to our uh, service today, which is Rediscover or the series title, Rediscover. And then you're going to click on today's message and then you can take notes. And the good thing about that is you'll always have your notes with you and you can email them if you want to or share them. And that's if you're an electronical person. Some of you are saying, I, I don't have any clue what you just said, so I'm going to stick to how I do things and that's fine. But we are in this series called Rediscover. And the whole scope of this series is that when you discover something, that means you've stumbled upon something, you found some new information or you... You came upon new information, and you discovered something. So in order for us to rediscover something, it means we had it, and then we lost it, and now we're trying to find it again. And so we've been talking about rediscovering passion, rediscovering influence. And today we're going to talk about rediscovering Jesus. Now you may be thinking, I don't, I, I've never lost him. I know where he is. I know who he is. I know who he is in my life, so I never lost him. Well, it may not be that you lost Jesus or you don't know where he is or, or how to connect with him, but it could very well be that you may have lost your love for Jesus. It may not, and it's may not, it may not be to its fullest extent or you may not have lost all of your love for him, maybe just a little bit to the point of he's become your savior now and not Lord and Savior. Because there is a big difference with Jesus being your Lord and Savior and Him just being your Savior. For instance, if Jesus is just your Savior, which is fine because He saved us. He rescued us from our past. He rescued us from eternal separation with God. And He saved us. He's our Savior. We cry out to Him. We pray to Him. And He gives us wisdom. So He's our Savior. But when He becomes your Lord, that means you listen to His voice and you obey Him. You listen to what he's saying through the word, and you obey him. That's what it means for him to be your Lord. And when you lose that side of it, the obedience side, then we never are able to live in a world where we have different beliefs, different ways of explaining things, and opinions all over the place. And We're not, we're not going to know how to live in a society that's pluralistic, a society that has many different beliefs, many different opinions, and everyone is saying, well, if, if we can just all, yeah, you, you believe what you want to believe, you believe what you want to believe, you can follow this, you follow this, but can we all just tolerate each other and then, and then just meld together and then that, that's what will bring peace to our world. But let me ask you this, in our world today, are we at peace? Absolutely not. There is conflict happening all over the place. So it's more than just everyone trying to get along. Something needs to bring stability. Something needs to be 
in place that we can always navigate back to to kind of anchor us down. Otherwise, we'll constantly be changing with the ebb and flow of the world, even as believers, if Jesus is just our Savior, not our Lord. Now, you may not know Christ yet. Maybe you're searching for the things of God, and you're saying, I don't understand. What, what does that mean, Lord and Savior? Well, I, I just want to present some things for all of us today, and it comes out of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, and it'll help us to set a foundation on what we're going to be talking about today. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. And then there are going to be some things that we're going to look at. This is Jesus talking to the apostle John and letting him know that here are some things that you're missing. The book of Revelation is actually Jesus being revealed after he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. So now Jesus is revealing himself to John, and John is writing down these words. And so Jesus says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. An apostle is someone who uh, understands the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, and brings that message. They're the messenger of God. So you claim, you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So it sounds like everything is going well. Jesus is saying, you're doing great things. These are great things. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. You know, when you first come to know Jesus, like you, you fall in love with him. You, your sins are forgiven. There's a weight lifted off of you. And it's like a brand new life. And now, because of that brand new life, everything you do, you want to do to glorify God. You want to do to please God because of that first love. And the Bible says we can only love him because he first loved us. So there's that connection with God in that first love. There's, it's a, it's, there's a brand new connection. And in that connection with God, great things happen because there's that first love. It's kind of like when you first started dating your spouse, and then you got married, and then years go by, you feel like, well, times have changed. We don't, we're not in love like we used to. Well, that's because you never, you never kept doing the things you used to do when you first fell in love. Take, take her out on dates. Take him out. Go on, on dates as husband and wife. Do the things he used to do. The first love, that, that, that time when you first fell in love, those are the things that we tend to neglect over the years because we take it for granted that it's always going to be like that. And Jesus says, that's where you've come to. It's, you, you're doing the, the right things. However, only one thing I have against you. you. You have since left that first love. You've forgotten those things that you used to do. And how does this happen? How does that take place? How do we come to know God and then have this relationship with Him, but then after a while it starts to decay and deteriorate? What happens? Well, basically, it's we've just gotten used to the way we want to live. And we've seen a world that constantly changes. So because we're in the world, we, we constantly change with the world. And we got used to living without Christ as our Lord, still our Savior, but no longer our Lord. 
It's kind of like if you ever went to, uh, like, you know when we're in the sunlight, and here in Hawaii, it's sunny, you go to a theater, and you're in the dark for a little while. You have to adjust your eyes. And then after a while, your eyes get adjusted to the dark. Well, when you're done with the movies, you come back in the light. You know how it's so bright? It's very sensitive. So it's like that. You get so used to the dark that now you can see in the dark. It's okay. You play hide-and-go-seek as a little child. It's dark, but then you get used to the dark. My grandchildren don't like the dark because, you know, they can't see. But I try to teach them that you'll get adjusted to it. Your eyes will adjust to it. You don't have to be scared of no spooky person. You'll be fine. But then after a while, our eyes get used to the dark, and so it is in the world. We just get used to the ways of the world. Even as believers, as Christians, we get used to the ways of the world, so we start blending in with the world. Why? Because we're still in darkness. Oh, we have Christ as our Savior, but He's no longer our Lord, so we keep doing the things we used to because we reverted back to our old ways because we got used to the dark. And if we're not careful, we stay there. And so what Jesus is saying is, you're doing all the good things, but it's all in the dark. You've forgotten your first love. You have to come back to your first love. See, every person, no matter how far or close you are to God, every single person can rediscover Jesus. And you will want to rediscover Jesus. And here's how. The first thing is, don't stay in the darkness. Come to the light of Christ. Just don't stay in the darkness. You'll know if you're in the dark when you come to Christ. Because He's the one that shines light in the darkest places in our life. The question is, what takes away my relationship with Jesus? What, what is it that comes into my life that takes away my relationship with Christ? What is it that draws me further away from God rather than closer? Because if we're living in darkness, the only way to know if we are far from Him is to draw near to Him. Yeah, we're doing good deeds, we're working hard, we're persevering, and Jesus said, that's great things, but you've forgotten your love. In John 8 verse 12 when jesus spoke to the people he said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life he's saying you're going to have the light of life for some of us in order for us to know we're in darkness we're going to have to have the light of life we think we have life now in darkness but jesus says you're not anywhere near that i'm going to give you the light of life he continues in john 12 Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. In other words, darkness can overtake us. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. I, I hate walking in the dark and stumbi- stubbing your toe. I kicked my foot on the chair the other night. It, it's one of those things that, you know when you kick the chair or, or stub your toe, you, you want to say things that are ungodly and you kind of just hold it in and you don't know what to do with it. But because you're in the dark, you can't see. And what Jesus is saying is when you stumble in the dark, you, you, you change. You're no longer the person that I see you to be and whoever walks in darkness doesn't even know where they're going. And you're going to stumble into things. You're going to kick your feet. You're going you're to stumble in life. Why? Because you're still in darkness. But then he says in Matthew 4, 16, that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And you know what Jesus is speaking about? He's speaking about himself. He's saying, you're going to get comfortable. You're going to live even in the shadow of death, and you're okay with it. But a light has dawned, 
And when that light is shown, go to that light, and that light is Christ. Don't stay in the darkness too long. Come to Christ, because that's going to be what makes greatness inside of you be realized. It's going to be Christ himself. The second thing is to seek truth more than what sounds good. Because we, we, in, in our society, we can make things sound so good. We read posts, newspaper, we see things on TV. It sounds so good. And there are many different opinions that can make things sound good. Even the things that you disagree with, if argued correctly, can make it sound really good. It can sound so good. Even certain songs that we listen to, if you listen to the lyrics and you just read the lyrics, think about what we're listening to. And some people would say, I don't, I don't listen to the lyrics. I don't, I don't care about the lyrics. I just love the beat. It just sounds so good. I like the beat. I just, I don't listen to the lyrics. Well, it sounds good. So it's still coming into us because it sounds so good. But Jesus is saying, hang on, there's a light that has been dawned that even living in darkness, you've seen this great light. Go to that light and seek the truth more than what sounds good. Well, how do you know what is truth anymore? How, how will you know what is truth? Because Jesus even said, look, you, you, you cannot tolerate wicked people. You tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them to be false. So it seems like, well, I, I know what truth is. But he even says in John 7, 18, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. See, we like it when we sound good. We like it when people say, oh, you're so smart. Oh, you're so wise. Oh, you, man, I love coming to you because you just, you know what to say. You just sound so good. We, we love it when people say you sound good or you said something profound. Or if there's a debate of some kind and you bring in wisdom and people say, wow, you, man, you're, you're, that, that's why we talk to you because you know what you're talking about. It feels good. But with that comes a kind of like a self-seeking glorification because it feels good. And so we seek that and we like it. But Jesus says, he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, who is Christ, is a man of truth. Now, why is that possible? Well, because the person who lives to glorify God rather than self, and they live to glorify God, it doesn't matter if they sound good, look good, or even feel good. Truth is not determined on what sounds good or what feels good or how they feel see things, it's based on the word of God. It's based on his truth because his truth never changes. There's nothing false about that person because being self-glorified is not even on their radar. God is on their radar. So they, they, they bring everything to him that he would be glorified. Jesus himself said in John 4, 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's, that's who God is looking for, people who are going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That there's something about truth that helps us to realize that that's what brings stability. Truth. It never changes. How will we know how to live if we never look to truth? What are we going to anchor our lives to if we base everything on the way of the world? Because the world is constantly shifting. Opinions come left and right, and, and we have uh, different political scopes that 
are on one side and the other. And so how, how do we live in this kind of world where there's just all kinds of beliefs and we don't know what is truth? If everything is changing, how do we stay with truth? How do we know what is truth? If we run to this thing, that thing, because it sounds good, what happens to our lives? And we can see that happening in our day and age today in a pluralistic society where everyone just believes whatever. It's like whatever feels good to you, believe that. How will we know how to live? We need something stable that never changes with stability. I liken it to this one time, and this is a long time ago, so I've since been forgiven, and I've asked God for forgiveness, and I've changed my ways. I no longer do this anymore. So with that said, thank you for your forgiveness too in advance. We were on the road at a stoplight, and on the side of us was myself and my son, was another car, and the mom was teaching her daughter how to drive. So the daughter was, I don't know, maybe 16 years old, so she's in the driver's seat. And I'm at the stoplight, my son Jordan is next to me, and he hears all this screaming and yelling. And so he says, hey, Dad, look. And we look over, and it's people we know, and they're making trouble to us, saying all kinds of things and whatever else. So I I said to my son Jordan, I said, nobody mess with Luxinos. So I put it in reverse, and I slowly reversed. They panic, thinking they're moving forward. So... The mom is stepping on the, you know, the, emer- the emergency fake brake. And it's just like, push the brakes. We're moving. We're moving. The daughter is panicking. We can't be moving. My foot is on the brake. What is happening? Why are we moving? Well, the reason why they thought they were moving is because they're looking at our car to base their movement. So uh, I know it's funny, but it's, it's wrong. So thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And so they're looking at, and there were no cars behind us, so it was safe. So... Because we're moving, they're gauging their movement on us. The only way you know you're not moving is if you look at something that is not, that is stable, something that has stability. And it's the same way with God. If we keep looking at the world and the world moves around, we, we go into a panic, a frenzy. We worry more. We don't know how to live because, oh, the world is reversing. I must be going forward, and now you're stomping on emergency brakes and fake brakes and, and not, even, not even living the life that you were supposed to live because you're looking at the world, and the world is constantly moving and shifting. And so our lives become unstable, not because it is unstable, but because it's become unstable by watching the world, and we make decisions based on the world rather than the truth. That comes from God. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, verse 8, it says, But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. See, when you become self-seeking and you reject the truth, wrath and anger follow suit. Yesterday, I've been working on a project. Uh, Heidi wanted me to do a you know, above the stove, there's a hood that, um, you know, the air vent and the light and things like that. So she said, I want to paint that like a bright orange. And I'm thinking, bright orange? I'm the Filipino. How? Why? Bright orange? <laughs> she said, yeah, bright orange. So I took the thing down and, and, you know, I'll sand it down, clean it up because it's been there for a while and grease and whatever else. So clean it up, sand it down, primer it, sand it down, water sand it, primer it. Do like three or four coats to get it good because if you're like me, you want it done well 
because people are going to see it and they're going to ask, who did that? Oh, my husband did. If ugly, then it's like, and I never do that, but I want it to be done well. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, almost. So it's done in a certain way, and I, I, I need to make sure that the top looks the best because that's what everybody is going to see. They're not going to see underneath, behind, or, you know, in other odd places. So that's the most important part that I leave for last. Well, yesterday I finally put on the orange coat of paint and the final coats. And it's drying, so it's a little tacky. And then a bug lands on it. I'm like, no way. And, and so I'm, I'm, I, I'm like, I want to blame God because he could have stopped the bug. But if I blame him, what if I get, you know, stricken? You know, something. so I'm thinking, what if I blame God and something happened to me? You know, just thoughts like that. Because you think the same thing, so don't even act. So I'm thinking, oh, man, a bug. And, and so I'm getting frustrated. And you know when you get so frustrated, but you can't lash out because you're supposed to be godly and your wife is in the house. And so I'm thinking, how am I going to deal with this? And I'm so angry because this is the, this is, this is the, the final. And, and it has to be good. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Now the bug, I'm looking at the bug. I'm thinking, your fault. You're dying now. I, I can't do it. I cannot help you. And so... So I'm thinking, how am I going to get him off? And normally what I would do is just get a piece of tape, stick on it, and then pull it right off. Or let it dry and then take care of it later. But no, my impatience was there. So I said, you know, I'm going to try and blow it. Maybe it'll fly off. So I blow it. It flips over. And I'm like, ah, oh, worse now. Get his feet and his wings. So I, I blow it again to get it off the edge. It rolls over to the other side where you're going to see so now it's rolling off the edge. Now you see like these trail marks of bug thingies. And then the bug is on the side, an orange bug now. And finally I say, you know, I'm just going to kind of wipe him off. I wipe him off and then I even wiped off the paint. And so now you can see the primer. And I'm like this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. And you know how you do the, the, ang- the angry, Ugh! like that's what I'm doing. I'm like, ah, hoping Heidi hears me that she would have some compassion and say, honey, what's wrong? Let me cook you dinner. But no, none of that. I was just, ah. And she's in the house. And so I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? Then I come in the house and she can see my frustration, probably heard me outside. And and I was like, man, I'm frustrated. She goes, what what happened? Now, when a wife asks husbands, what happened? That's like, beginning of war. So thank God nothing happened. She said, what happened? So I told her the story. I even got so mad that my, and my dog was right there. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm mad right now. Be mad with me. And so I don't know what to do. I want to throw something. Have you ever wanted to throw something? You're so mad. You, you like fly something. So I have the spray can in my hand. And I'm thinking, I cannot throw this because if I throw this, that's all, that's all the paint I have. What if it breaks the can? Now I can't paint. I can't throw this. What, what else can I do? So no, I did not do nothing to my dog, but I had his toy in front of me. I kicked his toy. He looks at me and he goes, like, play. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not playing right now. I'm mad. Be, be mad. You play by yourself. So I'm, I'm frustrated. And Heidi sees this and she asks, what's wrong? And I told her, well, the bug landed on it and, and whatever else. And like a loving wife, she goes, ah, oh, what, what is Jesus teaching you? I was like, what? She's yeah, but like, what, what, what do you think the Lord is? I'm like, what? A, oh, uh, wait, you never just go there, yeah, Heidi. You just, what is the Lord? What is the Lord teaching me? The Lord teaching me not to listen to you because I doing your project. That's what He's teaching me. So I didn't say that. I just, I just, I just said to myself, I thought, 
what is the Lord teaching me, if anything, because he's always teaching us something. And so I don't know what he's teaching me. But I'm teaching you. So I, I don't know. But then I realized, I wonder if he's teaching me that it's, it's, it was about self. That I'm, I'm seeking self. That I wasn't concerned about the, the hood or what it looked like. I was concerned about if people see that and they see the mistake, they're going to refer back to me and what I did. Because we can say it's okay, and even Heidi will say it's no big deal. But every time I see it, I will see the mistake. And I wonder if the Lord is saying too many of us continue to just look at our mistakes when no one else sees that because we've, been, we've become a self-seeking society that it becomes about us after a while and no longer to glorify God. And I thought, you know, even in our mistakes, we can glorify God. Even, even with our flaws, we can glorify God when we seek the truth. Because isn't it the truth that makes us free? That's what the Word of God says. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And when Jesus brings this truth to society, even in a world that had different beliefs, when he brings this truth, they don't know what to believe because they've rejected truth and they followed evil. This is what happened to a man by the name of Pilate. He was the Roman governor. The Jews brought Jesus to him to be tried and to, to interrogate. And, and so he's asking Jesus these questions, and Jesus answers him. And, and, and Pilate says in, in John 18, 37, he says, So you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then he says this, What is truth? retorted Pilate. What is truth? With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis of charge for a charge against him. I wonder if, yeah, Pilate, he didn't see anything wrong with Christ, but what he did miss is the question he asked. What is truth? Because for Pilate, he had many voices coming into his head, many different uh, opinions, and, and of course, in, in Rome, they're trying to become the, the greatest. And so he's getting all of these different uh, informational uh, wisdom and, and, and different views. And so what is truth? And what Pilate missed was he was staring in the face of truth when he asked that question, but then he left. He walked away, and he went back to what the world would recognize as truth. I find no charges for this man. He's innocent. If you were to ask Jesus what is truth, he would just point you to himself because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you might be asking yourself, that question, what is truth? Maybe you've been seeking for truth. Maybe you've been following whatever sounds good, whatever makes you feel good, and, but it doesn't give you stability because it's moving with the ways of the world rather than what is stable. And wherever you are with that question, keep an open, and you can write this in your last, last point, just have an open heart policy 
with Jesus. It's like you're saying, you're always welcomed into my heart. Truth is always welcome into my life. Because we know that it's, that's what's going to anchor us down in a world that's ever shifting and the currents that just fly by us that will pull us in if we have no anchor to truth. Jesus said, you persevered, you endured hardships, you have not grown weary. In other words, he's saying, these are great things, but you're not anchored to the truth. That's why he says in Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It seems that we've become a society that doesn't need Jesus. We're able to do good deeds, work hard, persevere, not tolerate wicked people, test people who say they're doing one thing and when they're not or bringing a good message of Jesus, but we find falsehood in them. We're able to endure hardships. We have not grown weary. So we ask ourselves, well, why do we even need Jesus? It could possibly be that we've been living in the dark so long that we've just gotten used to it. And we no longer think we need Christ because we can function in our world. We have all the knowledge in the world at our fingertips. Any, anything we need to know of, we, we have it right here at our fingertips. So we feel, why, why do we need Christ? We have all the knowledge that we can get. We've become a self-glorified people to keep up with the trends so that we look good. Think about it. We need Jesus today more than ever. Because he brings stability. We've been living in darkness, maybe gaining worldly knowledge or glorifying ourselves. If there's anyone we need more, it's Christ himself. You know, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were always looking for a sign. And they were the ones that when Jesus came, they were looking for a, a king of this, of this earth, an earthly king, one that would rule like how the kings did. They followed the pillar of fire and the cloud by night, or by day, and the pillar of fire by night. So they, they understood what it meant to follow light. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, they're saying, no, you're not the king we want you to be. But he was the king that was needed. And so the people looked at him and said, well, we, we, we need some signs then. We want you to show us proof. The Greeks were all about the knowledge. They, they gained knowledge. They wanted to have the wisdom. And they were the ones that said it's all about knowledge. The Romans were all about the glory. So you have these three groups. You have the, the Hebrews or the Israelites who always sought a sign or the light. And they wanted, they wanted, to, they wanted proof and they wanted to see proof in order to believe. And many of us live like that too. They say, well, if God did this, and if I see it, if you show me a sign or you, you just shine the light so I know where to go, then we'll believe. So that's what they were at after. They, were, they needed a sign and they wanted light to, to show the way. And the Greeks, they were all about the knowledge. And because of that, they thought knowledge was, that knowledge would be everything. That if you can gain knowledge, then you'll be, you'll be able to rule the world. And so it was with the Romans, that they were all about the glory, that they wanted to conquer the, the, the entire world. And that was their, that was their heart. That was their, that was their basis for life. It was about the light or the signs, knowledge and glory. There's a man by the name of Paul 
who was named Saul, but then he, he converted to being Paul. And he went through that conversion when he met Jesus Christ. After Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, he sees Christ and is transformed. Paul, born a Hebrew, who went to the Greek world to bring the knowledge of Christ as a Roman citizen, trying to glorify God, speaks this to a pluralistic society. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Tell me it's not all about Jesus. All of this is wrapped up. He took the abstracts of all that was known and brought it and pointed us to the embodiment of light, knowledge, and glory in the face of Christ. Paul was saying, listen, I know where you're coming from. I understand. I, I, know, I, I know you're seeking a sign. I know that you have all this knowledge. You have different belief systems. And I know you want the glory, but it's found in Christ Jesus. I'm here to tell you today that everything is found in Christ. Don't leave that first love. Or for some of us, you got to discover that first love. you got to discover Christ. And when you rediscover Jesus, his light, his knowledge, his glory, then he fills you with such greatness that you become a greater you because of him. And you no longer are there to seek self. And even if you do, you turn it back to God and you learn from him. And what's amazing about that is that's why it's a relationship. That's, that's what's so amazing about this relationship with God. It's not a religion at all. It's a relationship where you get to connect with God and you have a Father in heaven. And now your life has meaning and purpose and value. And when you have value, darkness itself can no longer take you over because of your high value. You understand the light of Christ in your life and darkness cannot overtake light. Light will always expel darkness. You rediscover Jesus, you have nothing to lose and eternal life to gain because it's about his glory. I'm going to close with this story and you can close your Bibles and put away your notes. Glenn can come to the keyboard. I'm reminded of this, this story of a, an Israelite who at one time he was the minister of internal affairs for Israel. His name is Natan Sharansky. And Sharansky was imprisoned for many years under the yoke of the Russian regime. And years later, when visiting the prison outside of Moscow, where he had put into solitary confinement for, during those times of the, dark, uh, the Cold War, he, he asked if he could go into his old cell alone just to spend some time there just to kind of ponder on some things. He's, he's been freed for a while. But then he brings in his wife and he says, this is where I found myself, in this cold, dark, gloomy cell. But then he was asked to go to the grave of the great Russian physicist Andrei Sakharov. And he says, I want to visit his grave. And while the media was there, they're asking him, why, why did you want to come to the grave? And he says, you know, when Andre was alive, he always, I remember his words before he died. He said this, I used to think that the greatest weapon in the world was the hydrogen bomb, which is what Andre brought to the Russians. He said, I used to think that the, the greatest weapon was the hydrogen bomb. 
but I no longer think that anymore. The greatest weapon in the world is not the hydrogen bomb. The greatest weapon in the world is truth. And I wonder for us in the world that we live in, if we've missed it all because we missed truth, that we believe whatever sounds good, what feels good. But when you rediscover Jesus, you rediscover truth that never changes. And when the world moves and shifts and you go into a panic, don't look at the world. Look to Christ. He never changes. He's so good that he's able to change us and give us light, knowledge to glorify himself because he deserves it. You pray with me, bow your heads for a moment. Lord, I pray for all of us today that regardless if we're close to you or far from you, we know that it, it needs to be about you. We live in a world that has many different beliefs and opinions, but what is truth? Just like Pilate asked, what is truth? We ask that today, and, and you show us yourself, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you. So Lord, thank you for teaching us to show us, to anchor our lives to you, the truth that sets us free. There may be some of you here today and you're saying, I've never anchored my life to Christ. I've anchored my life to many things and it's constantly been shifting and changing. But I want to anchor my life to truth in Jesus. Some of you know Christ and maybe he's been your savior for a while and you've forgotten that he's also your Lord. And maybe today you're rediscovering him as your Lord and you're saying, boy, I, I want to get back to that first love. Maybe even as a believer, it's once again rediscovering this relationship with Christ, that it is the greatest relationship that you will ever come into. And so as we pray today together, as I say this prayer and you include your heart and, and as you repeat after me, for those who are saying yes to Jesus, this is what we call the prayer of salvation, where Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior I'm going to say these words you repeat after me, but just mean it with all your heart. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And so I believe in you and I thank you for shining your light. In Jesus' name I pray. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, would you just shoot your hand up in the air and you're just recognizing that I received Christ today. Good. God sees you right here, right there. Back there, right here. God sees you. God bless you. Yeah, right here. God bless you. God bless you. Right there. You too. God bless you. Right there. God sees you. God sees you. Right here. God sees you. Right there. Right there. God bless you. That's, that's an eternal decision. Right there. God sees you, young man. Right there, back there, God sees you. Yeah, right here, you three, God sees you. God sees your hand. He hears your prayer. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray for these that just said yes to you. Eternity is at stake. 
But for those who call upon you as Lord and Savior, we have eternal life. You give us hope. You give us a future. And so we thank you for calling us your own. We believe in you. Help us to always remember that you are truth. Thank you for once again giving us the privilege of rediscovering who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together a mighty amen.